The views and opinions expressed in the following episodes are those of the individuals and are not meant to insult or offend anyone. Jeez, dark and gloomy much? Are you trying to be an edgelord? Well, then how should I put it then? I don't know. How about... We come in peace. We mean no harm. We may spoil some things. We may swear a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So listener discretion is advised. And I'm your co-host, uh, Owen, <clears throat> despite the fact that I'm surprised I haven't been fired over uh, my incompetency and lack of schedule ability. No, never. But uh, thank you for joining us, and yeah, big shout out to our friend, Black White Check, for intro and outro music. De- Details will be in the show notes. Sorry, did I cut you off there for a second? Okay. <clears throat> also, uh, happy belated Valentine's Day, or as some people would refer like to refer to it as uh, Singles Awareness Month. <laughs> Um, also, happy Black History, well, I guess, is it called, do you say happy Black History Month? No. Okay, well, you know, uh, remember, it's Black History Month? Yeah. Uh, and kind of in that spirit and everything, we wanted to do an episode based on some interesting... John Grisham novels. Yes. Uh, I wasn't quite sure if I should say John Grisham or, um, legal kind (laughs) of themed movies. Well, they're John, they're based off... Wow, I cannot <laughs> speak. I sound like I've been drinking. I have not. Just my unnamed, because we're not sponsored, fizzy... Carbonated beverage? Fizzy beverage. Yes. Um, It's based on John Grisham novels, but we're actually going to be talking about the films. Yes. Which slightly, of course, like most film adaptations... Creative differences. Yeah, they, they vary slightly from the original source, right? Mm-hmm. So... We are going to be talking about today, uh, Time to Kill. A uh, Time to Kill, right? Yes. Okay. That's what I said. Oh, I just heard Time to Kill. Oh. And The Rainmaker. Yes. <clears throat> so. <laughs> I had nothing to, you know, point out. It's like, eh, you, you forgot a word or, you know, <laughs> hey, not the proper title. Um, we want to give trigger warnings. Yes. It uh, does deal with some heavy stuff. Yeah. Especially, uh, I mean, they both do, but especially Time to Kill. Yes. It deals with sexual assault. And attempted murder. Yes. And of a child. Yes. And it also deals with um, racism. Uh, Racial, yeah. Racism, stuff like that. Yes. So we will be bringing up matters about that and of the, uh, I say gross saying this, the KKK. Yeah. Okay. All right, so. First, before we get anywhere, um, give me a second, just to entertain for blah, blah, blah. I got, got a little surprise. What? Yeah, just, just hold on, hold on. Okay, um, well, we decided to do these because we actually watched the films recently, and I'm a big John Grisham fan. The first ever actual, like, quote-unquote, like, adult fictional book that I read was The Chamber, actually, by him. So... Yeah, which, that was also a good movie, but, uh... It's been a while since we saw it, so we'd like to refresh before we did that one. And we figured two John Grisham novels is a lot to kind of get 
or movies, movies based on his novels, are a lot to get into. Absolutely. Now, I did get you a little special Valentine's Day gift. You uh, did. Based on some, the one thing I'm sure you love more than me. No. I'm pretty sure you love Grogu more than me. Mm, the same amount. Okay. But... I just can't go out and buy multiple Owens. <laughs> Why would you ever want to waste your money on something like that? <laughs> You're silly. One of me is bad enough in the world. Why would you want multiples? Anyways, uh, so yeah, I found uh, these. Uh, it was a whole, I think, I want to say 20, 30 pack of Grogu spy, uh, styled uh, stickers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know, we can put them on all kinds of things. And then I got myself this big, like, I want to say 50-ish, maybe 60 pack of Star Wars themed stickers, which had other characters involved. And I got to say, we came across some really weird ones. Like, uh, there, it's like, I got Mexico, I got Alaska, um, all kinds of places. Canada. Like, yeah, and then Happy Fifth Birthday Jacob was one of the stickers. And I was like, who's Jacob? Well, Jacob's now a stormtrooper that we have. Yes, a uh, model of a First Order stormtrooper, and he is now Jacob, and this is his belated fifth birthday gift. And it will always be. He will always be five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyway, that's just, pretty interesting. Just thought I'd bring that up because that was such a funny moment where we were looking at all these cool <laughs> different little stickers, but then we came across some ones where it was like, I, I don't know what the hell is going on. Oh, right, and this is the one I wanted to put on the mini fridge. It's one of a First Order uh, Stormtrooper, and it's kind of the whole 1960s, 1970s style comic books where... He's firing his blaster, and it goes pew, pew, pew. <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, that's enough sidetracking and enough trying to, you know, bring a little lightheartedness into this. Let's talk yeah. about <laughs> the 1996 film, A Time to Kill. Yes. So directed by Joel Schumacher. Mm-hmm. One of the uh, greats. <laughs> of course, based on A Time to Kill by John Grisham. <clears throat> it was produced by um, Arnon... Milton, John Grisham, Michael Nathanson, and Hunt Lowry. And it stars Sandra Bullock, Samuel L. Jackson, Matthew McConaughey. Kevin Spacey. Ugh. Um, Brent... okay. This was also like, you know, almost 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, Brendan Fricker. Sorry, Brenda Fricker. <laughs> oh, I thought the last name you messed up for a second. Oh, yeah. No, I... Brenda Fricker. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that... no, I messed up her first name. What I'm a so Fricker. Sorry. <laughs> Okay. Um, Oliver Platt, Charles S. Dutton, Donald Sutherland, Ashley McDonald, Patrick McGuhan. Uh, Ashley Judd, I think you mean? That's what I said. Oh, okay. I heard something way different. What I... I can't remember what I heard, but it was something different. Anyways, let's, let's be just... Moving on, TM. <laughs> and Kiefer Sutherland. Yes. Okay. So... The plot, and we're not going to go into, like, heavy detail. No, but... About what happens to Tanya. No, because but... Because... It's definitely... It's, imp it's important to the story, but, like, we're not going to go into the detail. I, I highly recommend you read the books or watch the film. Yes, the movie's so, a good... It's a great watch, and the book, I can imagine, if it's anything like this, because one thing I heard was that this movie is the most accurate... No. At a, oh, it's not... What was it, the Rainmaker? It was the Rainmaker. Oh, okay. But given, the, uh, you know, with despite a few creative differences, I can imagine that this is very similar to the book. And I can't imagine them taking that detail out. 
-hmm. or changing it too much. No, it's not. Um, it's it's kind of what builds the plot. Yeah. So, okay, we're going to start with spoiler warnings here as well. Yeah, which so, I think we already have at the beginning with our disclaimer. Yep, but just making it 100% clear, if you want to see either one of these films and you will read the books and have not seen them or read them, um, now is your chance to stop because we're getting into it. All right, <clears throat> so this takes place in the state of... Mississippi. And... In a town called Canton. Yeah. Now, we kind of come across these guys who, it's like, they're clearly smoking some pot, they're drinking beers, they're going around in this jacked-up yellow truck with a Confederate flag in the back, mm -hmm. and they're being menaces to society. Yeah. So, Billy Ray Cobb and James Willard. Yeah. Now, these guys were already enough of a pain in the asses that it's like, I would not mind taking a swing at either one of them. Mm hmm but then what they go and do is they are driving around a dirt road and they come across 10-year-old Tanya. Yeah. And just, I'm going to put it in legal terms because anything else would make me want to go punch a tree. Mm -hmm. Is that they rape, uh, or they assault, they threw a beer can, assault, uh, rape, and attempted murder, or attempt to murder her. Yeah, on top of that, they abducted her as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And stuff, and she does not die. She survives. Right. Yeah. So the two, Billy Ray Cobb, James Willard, they are arrested by the sheriff. Right. Now, you and I were watching this, and we were like, fuck yeah, because the sheriff, like, they're being all lippy at the sheriff, and the sheriff's just like, fuck you. And, like... Yeah, he actually, like... Uh, it it's not how police go about arresting and apprehending suspects and stuff like that. Like, they weren't like, we know for sure kind of thing. It's just all the evidence points to you and why is this bloody little girl shoe in the back of your truck and blah, blah, blah. So there's reasons to definitely look at these guys and be like, hey, what the fuck? Mm. But, <clears throat> but for the dramatic effect of it being a fictional thing, um, we were very happy with the way that um, Sheriff Ozzie Wells... <laughs> Handles himself throughout this movie. <laughs> yes. We are an Aussie Wall fan. Now, I have a question for you. Now, being that neither one of us have kids, um, but uh, what was Samuel Jackson's character's name? Uh, uh, Carl, Carl Lee, Lee Haley. Yes. Now, with what Carl Lee does is that um, when these guys are being taken to the courtroom to start their you know, legal proceedings. They're going through a bond hearing. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, he is probably so full of anger and grief and just, you know, the emotions are flooding him. He's probably not thinking very straight or at least he's just, he's so anger-driven. Yeah. Then it's like to go and shoot these boys dead in the courtroom. Like, he didn't just intend to, like, hit them with a, one bullet or whatever. He full auto-fired until the, probably the magazine was empty on these guys. Yeah. Um... And he killed both of them, right? And, yeah. and accidentally injured a friend of his. Now, here's my question for you. Yeah. Could you picture any parent who, if their kid had been put through that, would not want to do the same thing? I mean, wanting to do the same thing and actually doing it, two different things. But I don't think there's a sane parent out there who, if that happened to their 10-year-old kid, would not want to do that in a heartbeat. I mean, I can only... 
Uh, I'm, I'm just, yes, I'm just kind of like this we whole. We don't like, have children, but I know. And we were saying that if like if this ever happened to any of your nieces or nephews or anyone. Yeah, I would want to do that. Absolutely, I would want to. Would I do it? Would I act on it? I mean, I can't say for sure because obviously I've never been in the situation, but I would think not, because I, I want to believe in the justice system, and I want to believe that they will get what they deserve. Yes. Now. <clears throat> I guess now is the best time to mention that Tanya and Carl Lee Haley are a black family. Yes. And um, Billy Ray Cobb and James Willard were white. Mm-hmm. So part of the reason why Carl Lee did this, and he'll say as much in his testimony at trial, is because he was hearing that if, they did get found guilty. They would probably only receive 10 years. Yeah. Right. Now, the damage that they inflicted on Tanya was bad enough that she would never have children again. Yeah. Or yeah. again, she's 10. Sorry. She would never have children, period. Yeah. yeah um, it was that bad. Yes. So, um, I can. I think I could probably understand every parent feeling like they would want to do what Carl Lee Haley did. But... We do not live in a society where vigilante justice is... I mean, as much as the Batman kind of idea <laughs> sounds interesting or fun or... That's not, yeah. Or like the that's... Punisher, it's like, you know, the guy that goes and makes sure that it's like if people get a... Like, not... Is get away with the right term or, you know, they, their sentences or punishments get... You know, they don't get anything for that. I'm just thinking, like, what the what Punisher... Do you mean? Like, the Punisher goes after criminals that get... Are acquitted? Acquitted. Thank you. That's the word. Okay. Uh, yeah. So... Sorry, I lost my train of thought on that one for a second. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, yeah, so, but we live in, like, the real world where vigilante justice is not really a thing, right? And stuff, and... I don't know. Some... I'll, I'll be honest. Sometimes I think that criminals get off too easily for some of their crimes. Mm-hmm. Especially murder. Right? Yeah. And especially, well, just, I don't know. I shouldn't, I'm not really like any crime really. It depends on the crime, right? But like you hear of someone murdering someone and they're out in like 12 years. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and stuff like, and you got to remember too. Our legal system in Canada is different than the legal system in the U.S., right? So when Carl Lee Haley is arrested, he's actually on trial to go to the gas chamber because they still have capital punishment down there. Yes. Right. We haven't had capital punishment since 1976. Mm-hmm. Right. So he... Gets this guy named uh, Bergantz. Jake Bergantz. Who's played by Matthew McConaughey. Yes. And if we didn't say before, Ozzy Wells is played by um, Charles S. Dutton. And Carl Lee Haley is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Mm-hmm. So, um, Jake ends up being Carl Lee Haley's lawyer. Now, one of the things that makes this interesting is Carl Lee went to Jake before he shot and killed 
those guys and told him that he was going to do something. But Jake, when he spoke to his wife about it, she said, oh, well, you should go to the sheriff about it. And he never did because, I don't know, he didn't think he was really going to do something. Maybe he did want him to do something. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Now, another important... I hate saying that this is important because it's not, but it is for, like, the film, is Jake is white. Yes. Right. And stuff. So, anyway, they go, they file for a change of venue. Mm-hmm. Because they're like, we're not going to get a fair trial here in, you know, the county that we're in. Yes. And the judge agrees with them. But it's like a really weird thing because he's like, yeah, I agree. You're not going to get a a fair trial uh, here, but you're not going to get a fair trial anywhere in Mississippi. So you might as well have it here. Yeah, it's like, why well, go through the paperwork and all the moving people around and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we'll just have it here kind of thing. Like, Yes. All, like He's not really denying him a reason to like have it somewhere else. But he's also like just kind of shrugging it off as a, oh, <laughs> no, no, no. If he's going to get the death penalty here, he'll get it anywhere else kind of thing. Yeah. Or, so don't don't even bother with the paperwork and yada, yada. And again, things are much different in the like actual real world U.S. courts and stuff. So I'm sure a change of venue may have actually been granted. Right? Especially when we were watching Legal Legal. <laughs> yeah, did a legal review on A Time to Kill. He's really great, actually. If you guys don't know about Legal Legal, he's on YouTube and you should check him out. Um... He's like an actual lawyer <laughs> and he does all t- kinds of videos. But anyway, he did one on this one. And at one point, you've got a group of hundreds of Ku Klux Klan members. Um, I'd say anywhere from like 50 to 60. There were a lot of them. And then, of course, a lot of other people who just have similar op- thoughts, racist, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, like racist ideology. Hatred kind of yeah. opinions. And so, of course, there was a lot of those people. And, of course, there was also a lot of people uh, that were actually outside protesting in favor of freeing Carl Lee. Yeah. But Legal Eagle made a good point. When a hundred Ku Klux Klan members show up to protest your trial, maybe a change of venue is for the best kind of thing. Yeah. Although, honestly, I don't think that would have made too much of a difference of them showing up there or somewhere else. Because they probably would have driven anywhere else to go be like, hey, them boy, or th- that guy slayed our boys kind of thing and killed him in cold blood. Mm. It was like, we want him to fry or something like that or kind of thing. Like, they, they'd go anywhere. It's like, I'm just saying, is that the whole, yeah. they should have done the request of a venue change or given it, but yeah. Yeah, well, and part of the change of venue would have allowed them to be in a more diverse part of the State. I almost said province. <laughs> Sorry, Canadian here. Um, state, yes, I did learn American geography. I do know it's a state. Um, my bad. <laughs> um, but you know, I'm almost kind of tempted to see who knows more states than the other, you or me, and see like we'll get a blank map and be like, okay, this one, this one, this one, this one. Like we know California, we know this one. Uh-huh. Yeah. But it's like how many? Like who would get more states right between the two of us? Probably you. I was actually thinking you. Mm, geography wasn't my best subject i yeah but anyways that's just the whole fun uh, topic idea for another time exactly um but because the the change of venue was denied 
Carly's going to end up with an all-white jury. Yes. Which shouldn't matter. It right? shouldn't. Let's be clear. Owen and I, like, we're of the... If we ever got called to jury duty, I don't care <laughs> what race or religion or sexual creed or sexual orientation the, um, like, the defendant is. I'm there to do my civic duty, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is to hear nothing but the facts of the case and go off of that. Right. Exactly. But, obviously, John Grisham wrote this to where it does matter. And unfortunately, I'm sure there are times, even now, in society where it does matter. Right. And it's unfortunate because there's a line in the film that kind of, it's not how we feel, but I can understand it, where it says, the law is blind. The law is colorblind. But humanity isn't. Right. Or humans aren't. And it was something like that. I'm not, it's not a direct quote, but it was something like that. That was the sentiment of it. And it's sad, but true. Like, I'll give an easy example I can think of. For example, like, uh, the law should be colorblind. Yeah. So say somebody's doing 150 kilometers on the QE2, or Queen Elizabeth II Highway, north and south of Alberta, in Alberta. So it's 110 kilometers an hour maximum speed limit on that highway. Yeah. So if someone's clocked at that speed, they should get a ticket for break, er, breaking the speed limit, you know, for 40 kilometers over the speed limit, mm-hmm. regardless of what ethnicity somebody is. Absolutely. Like, no matter what ethnicity you are, you should That's get the same That's where the law amount. should be colorblind, but when yes. the cop, like, if, a, if the cop pulls somebody over, blah, 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 or something like that, then, you know, human emotions kick in regardless of, like, a lot of things, and yeah. this is where it's like, police definitely... You know, I think they don't get enough training to, or at least if they don't get it, like, I think, yeah, it, it, it's almost like, um, life is so complicated and convoluted that the split second decisions that will have to be made face to face with certain people, with you know, any kind of person, it's like, you never know if someone's going to be calm and, you know, talk and talk things out or whatever, or if somebody is going to you know, make a knee-jerk reaction and then all of a sudden things escalate quickly and mm-hmm. maybe a weapon gets involved or maybe somebody just throws a punch or something and it's like, you don't really have time to kind of debate between pros and cons and legal jurisdictions and stuff like that. All it, There's just a lot of things where it's like, unfortunately, thing, like a lot of things can get messy. But one thing that should never be in consideration is people picking on somebody just on ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Or sexuality or... Mm-hmm. Um, religion or anything like that. Oh, yeah. And that's something that you and I, like, I don't know about you, actually. I shouldn't speak for you, but I feel like you're going to agree with me. I have a really hard time understanding why people do that because I wasn't raised are, are that way. Are you putting words in my <laughs> mouth? I, okay, I have definitely disliked somebody for being a colossal dick. Yeah. But I've never, ba- like, hey. I've never based my feelings on someone because of, like, there's their skin color or their religion or um, their gender or anything. I don't base it on that, right? Oh, 100%. How I treat you is 100% how you treat me, Yeah. right? And that's why some people get a really awesome, cool Michelle and some people get a bitch, (laughs) right? Because... Oh, and trust me, I I can only imagine how much you hold it back because if the people that get the bitch Michelle... Knew how really pissed you are. 
if they didn't experience the full wrath, they there's you don't want to mess with her. She hmm. is a redhead, and yeah, they 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 are a lot. A lot of redheads earn that title of being known for a fiery attitude. I can have one for sure. So anyway, back to the movie. The movie. So. Um, yeah, so anyway, the trial goes on. It's not looking good for Carl Lee. Right. Sandra Bullock's character, Ellen Rourke. She was trying to help, uh... Brigance. Yep. Jake Brigance. And, uh, Harry Rex defend, um, <clears throat> Carl Lee. And she actually gets abducted by the Ku Klux Klan and beaten up and... Uh, what? almost left to die. Yes, but there's a guy who's, like, on the inside, but I don't think... I don't know. He's, like, an informant. He calls himself Mickey Mouse because he's got a Mickey Mouse tattoo. Which I think is kind of funny. It's, like, the whole, like, what's the least threatening-sounding name someone can give themselves? But he has thwarted a lot of the plans that the Ku Klux Klan had, like, bombing Jake's house. And he actually goes and finds Rourke and takes her to the hospital. Okay, now that you brought that up and that actually rejogged my memory about Max the dog, mm. oh my god, <clears throat> I tell you, when uh, he was looking for his dog Max in the rubble of the house and everything, mm-hmm. I thought the dog was dead. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, if anybody ever hurt my little dog Luke, oh, that Ku Klux Klan better be armed to the teeth because I'm coming after every last one of them and being like, you killed my... You've seen John Wick, right? Mm-hmm. The whole premise of, like, the dog being killed and, like, that was I've the... never seen John Wick because the dog dies, actually. Okay, well, <laughs> I'd go all John Wick on the KKK for killing my dog. Yeah. They'd be like, it's, it was just a dog. And I was like, it wasn't just a dog, he was my dog. And he was such a good boy, he never harmed anyone, ever. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but then it turns out the dog's still alive and he comes running back and I'm like, oh my god. I know, I actually thought you were going to start crying and I felt really bad because I was like, I want to tell you the dog's still alive, but he's going to start barking any minute, so. Yeah, it was de- it was kind of the whole, the Star Wars, um, um, what was it called? Um, it was Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, oh, The Rise of Skywalker, when uh, you thought Chewie had died. Oh my god, I bawled. And then you were just like, baby, stop it, stop it. And I'm like, I can't, baby. And then you see Chewie alive, like, minutes later. And I was like, that's what I experienced in the movie theater. I can't hold... I, I'm, I gotta make sure this keeps going so you mm-hmm. don't experience prolonged pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, anyways, back to the movie, though. So, the court proceedings go on. Yeah. Um, and it's not looking good for Carly. No. So, it comes down to the closing arguments, right? Yeah. And... Carly and Jake are talking in the jail. And basically, Jake's like, I don't know what to do. I don't think it's going to go well. I don't think the jury is going to buy that you... Were insane or... Yeah, we're legally insane at the time of this thing. So, um, I don't know what to do. And Carly's like, basically, he's like, I don't want to sound like an asshole. But I picked you to be my lawyer because you are a white white person. Yeah. (laughs) Because our children will never play together. We are not friends. Right. So you need to do... What you need to do is you need to figure out what you would need to hear to set me free. Right. Yeah. And so uh, 
again, it goes into detail about, like, sexual assault of a child and stuff, so I don't really want to go through the closing argument very much, but basically he describes what happened to Tanya. Which was very heartbreaking. And he's, like, has the jury close her eyes, and he's saying, picture it. Imagine Picture her. You know, crying for her dad who can't, who doesn't come. Yeah. And then when everybody has their eyes closed and stuff, he's like, now picture she's white. Now, it worked because they let him off, they acquitted him. Yeah. Right. And stuff. But, again, I, it shouldn't matter. And I understand, I, and we're not going off, like, after the U.S., for this. This is a human type issue. Well, no. I, we're not going after the U.S. on this because I understand that there was, like, segregation and mm-hmm. race. That was here, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm and saying. It's not a... they have literally unearthed over 7,000 indigenous children's bodies in mass graves across our country mm-hmm. at residential schools. So we Unmarked are not... Too. Yes. So we are not going after the U.S., For things of their past. Because every country has a shitty past where they did shitty things to people. That is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Right. But. Go ahead. um, There was a time. And I'd like to think that time has passed. And maybe I'm a little naive in my thinking. But I would like to think that we're past a time. Where he has to describe what happened to this child. And then make you picture them as a different race. Yeah. Just what happened to her alone, I would think, nowadays, wouldn't matter. Yeah. Right? And stuff. But again, this was written almost 30 years ago. And there was still a lot going on in the South. I mean, this movie was made almost 30 years ago. And yeah. it was based in, like, the around 85, yeah, something? Yeah, it was in the 80s it happened, for sure. Yeah. Um, we know it was after 81. I don't remember exactly if it says in the books what year it was based in. But we know it was after 81 because they did reference Hinckley, mm-hmm. which was the man who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Yes. In 81. So, so but, mid-80s at the, at the latest. Yes. So... But it's a, I mean, it's a very good movie. It's hard to watch because of the racism that's in it. Mm-hmm. But it's a good film. Um, it's a good book. Yeah. And, yeah, I... It deals with a lot of heavy topics, yes. but it does it very well. It definitely does not dismiss sensitive topics. It doesn't yes. sugarcoat stuff, which makes it a good movie, in my opinion. Samuel Jackson, Matthew McConaughey, Sandra Bullock... Uh, you know, those three there, right there, I was like, okay, I'm in for this ride the whole way through. And then you saw the rest of the cast and you were like, well, holy shit. Well, yeah, and the rest of the movie was not exactly slouching either. Yeah. So. Here's a question for you then. What was your favorite part of the movie and what was your least favorite part of the movie? My favorite part of the movie was when Sheriff Ozzy Walls arrested Billy Ray Cobb and James Willard. (laughs) Nice. My least favorite part of the movie is my least favorite part of the movie is what happened to Tanya yeah in the beginning but also I mean 
Yeah, no, actually, I mean... I, I think what you're trying to say is that, yeah, the, how traumatic that was, and that's the whole plot building. Yes. Thing. Without that, you wouldn't have the movie, but at the same time, you disliked it because of how tr- atrocious it was. Yeah. <clears throat> no, fair enough, I, can, I, I agree, yeah. And what about you? Um, I think with the way it was filmed and, every, like, with the scene and everything and what they kind of showed with how the girl was, you know, taken to the ambulance and everything that yeah. Tanya was taken and stuff... It was kind of the whole... You knew what was happening. You knew how bad it was, but they didn't... It wasn't graphic. They didn't show you anything super graphic. graphic. But it was enough to let you know this is what's happening. Yeah. Seeing a rope go around a tree branch and it's snapping and stuff. Like, all that stuff. It was just horrible, bad. Mm -hmm. I would say my my least favorite scene in there Mm -hmm. was probably where the whole... The, the KKK kind of came storming around the corner and everything, and they were ready to, like, you know, they were protesting outside the building because mm-hmm. it was, like, the whole, just this level of bigotry and hatred and self-entitled righteousness and everything that they had. Mm-hmm. I just It just disgusted me right to my core. Yeah. Where it's like, you, you know the whole premise of why Carl Lee Haley is on trial mm-hmm. and everything, and, like, for all this stuff going on, but you're, you want him to die because of what he, I was like, I'm not getting into that, but yeah. Uh, my favorite scene though, absolutely love this scene was when they said, he's innocent. And everyone's cheering. And the one black lady pulls the mask off the KKK guy (laughs) and punches him in the face. And I was like, yes, queen. Yeah. So that was a good one actually. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, if you have to hide your face, when you're protesting or marketing, you know, kind of yes. like how the KKK are. It's like, if you have to hide your face in any kind of organization like that... Then you should know that what you're fighting for is probably not the right thing. I mean, you know, should, should you, like most people and everything should be pretty open-faced, especially when you're making a political stance. Yeah. Just move... I'm just saying, that's one of my things where I'm like, mm-hmm. do they not realize the idiocy of what they're doing? Yeah. Oh. So, um, anyway, mm-hmm. that being said, again... They are good watches. They're good, you know, fictional, dramatic watches and reads, but uh, hard, hard to watch and read, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, okay. So moving on to our next one. Yep. The Rainmaker. This one, it, it, it's heavy in its own way, <coughs> um, but it's definitely, like, it's different. Yeah. From A Time to Kill. Yeah. Now, this one came out a year later, 1997. Yes. And it's starring... Uh, what well, is it? it's... Oh. Sorry, it's directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Yep. Also, the screenplay was written by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, narration by Michael Hare, based on the remaker by John Grisham. Produced by Michael Douglas, Fred Fuchs... And Stephen Ruther? Okay, and it's starring? Matt Damon, uh, Claire Danes, John Voy? Voight. Voight. Uh, Mary Kay Place, Mickey... Rourke. Rourke, thank you. And, of course, one of my favorite actors, Danny DeVito. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. So this film takes place in Tennessee. Are you from Tennessee? Because you're the only ten I see. 
old cheesy pickup line. Anyways. Yeah. So, when I first heard the title of this one, I was kind of thinking, like, the Rainmaker, so, like, something to do with weather manipulation or something? Like, what are we talking here? And I was like, oh, no, this has to do with uh, a insurance payout for a bone marrow transplant. Yes. So, <coughs> the film starts off, you meet Rudy Baylor, played by Matt Damon. And he is a law school student. Who just passed the bar. Yeah. And he's got no, like, high-paying law job in the horizon. So he's just waiting tables. <laughs> and he meets someone by the name of Bruiser. Well, that's his nickname anyway. Yeah. J. Stone, who is an ambulance chaser lawyer right so bruiser says he'll hire him right yeah but they have to find their own cases they have to pay their own way right and he'll work them up to trial so he is essentially finding the cases for bruiser bruiser pays them a bit right but he's not going to go to court right yeah um Rudy's not really comfortable with this, but, like, he needs the job, right? Yeah. Now, he comes across, um... A a paralegal in in Bruiser's office named Deck Shippet. Mm-hmm. Now, Deck Shippet is played by Danny DeVito, and Deck Shippet's not exactly what you call squeaky clean. No, and one of the things about Deck... Is that he's he's tried to become a lawyer. Yeah, he's tried to pass the bar exam and failed mm, six times? Six times. So, he's really good in the courtroom, or sorry, really good at gathering information and stuff, but really kind of, sh- like, he can't be in the courtroom, right? Yeah. <coughs> so, anyway. So, fun little detail here that, uh, well, he comes, so he gets this case where... This, uh, what was the name of the, uh, plaintiff or... Donnie Ray. Donnie Ray. He is, uh, dying of... Leukemia. Leukemia, and the bone marrow transplant would save his life, but his insurance company won't pay for it, and yada, 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 progresses onwards that it's like, well, he needs to sue them to get the money he needs to get this life-saving Exactly, because Great Benefit, which is the insurance carrier, keeps saying that they won't pay for the bone marrow transplant because it is... Um, an experimental treatment. Treatment. Yeah. Right. And so they end up going to court. Rudy. Um, just real quick. Bruiser's on the run because he's done some shady shit. <laughs> the cops are looking for him. So he left five grand for Rudy, five grand for Deck. So they take their money, they pull it together, they open a law firm. And so that's why, like, Rudy's basically on his own. Yeah. Doing this case. I mean, he's got Deck helping him, but Deck can't come into court. Right. Yeah. And, like, represent as a lawyer as well. And they're going up against great benefit attorneys. They got a lot of money, and they've got great lawyers. Yes. Now, one thing... uh, So, there was a... 
paperwork that, uh, what was, uh, the guy that, um, shoot, what was his name that needed the, that got the lawyer, uh, Matt Damon, uh, I can't remember the character's name, but anyways, um, so, so Donnie Wright? Yes. Okay. Uh, him and his mom were signing some paperwork. And his and, dad. His and, dad had to sign it too. Or yes, and his dad. Uh, but they were asking about, like, what was being said in this paperwork and what they were agreeing to. And he tells them that it's uh, their comp their law firm their law firm would I'm having trouble speaking right now. <laughs> this is why I'm not a lawyer because I would muddle up my words and then court and. Do you want me to take over? Because I think I know what you're trying to say. Yes, please. Okay, so they have to sign these papers that are basically like um a contract. Yes. And it says that Rudy and his law firm will cover all the fees that come up from doing the law. The, or sorry, the court case. But if they win the court case, he gets one third of whatever the settlement is. Which I mean does sound like a lot of money. But <laughs> it does. It sounds like a lot of money. But when you think about it, they're not giving him any money, right? Mm -hmm. Or very little money to start this. So he's going to cover all the costs. And... If they lose, he's out all that money that he spent, which yeah. could be tens to th to hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah. depending on what they need, right? So, again, when watching Legal Eagle, he yeah. did say this is actually not something that you ever really see in the movies, but is a it is real a... legal um... contract that is done most often. Especially for people who wouldn't be able to afford the legal fees. Yes. So it's kind of one of those, hey, we highly believe we can win this case for you, but you don't have the money to pay for this, so what we'll do is we'll waive that, but we get a slightly bigger payout from this, but it's only only get paid out if we win. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, they're so willing to bet on this horse mm -hmm. that it's something where, yeah, the... It's one of those things that almost sounds like it's a it's a bum deal for the winner, but not really. Not really, because it's like you don't pay unless you win, and if you win, it might not be as much, but it's still better than you know. Not if, you, if you don't win and you didn't sign this, then you have to pay those legal fees and you lost. Yeah. So yeah, again, really like it's kind of one of those things that makes it something where people who are you know misfortune uh, unfortunate and everything they have a better way to participate in the legal system. Mm -hmm. So, moving on. Um... Yeah. They... So, he ends up meeting the legal... Um... What was it? Great Benefit? Uh, yeah, Great Benefit's fucking posse of lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff. There's like six of them or something at the table. Headed by... Uh, a guy named Leo F. Drummond, played by John Voight. Mm -hmm. um, we should also say Bruiser um, is played by Mickey Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, John Voight's character, he's like the epitome of what you would expect a really rich, old corporate lawyer to be like. Yeah, very dominant, overbearing, uh, kind of sucks the air out of the room in a way. Yeah, and stuff. So, basically, when they meet with the judge, he wants the case dismissed. 
right? And, uh, yeah, the judge is like, nah, I don't think so. Right. So they end up actually having their judges switched because Judge Hale ends up dying of a fatal heart attack. Mm-hmm. Right. Before he grants a petition for dismissal, if he was going to grant it. Yeah. Right. So then they get Tyrone Kipler as their judge, played by Danny Glover. Love him. Yeah. Very good actor. Very, very good actor. So, anyway, he says he's not going to... Postpone this trial. Or he's not going to dismiss it. Yeah. Right. He's not... You can tell he's not a fan of Leo F. Drummond's there. No. Right. So they're sitting in his chambers and they're going through some of this stuff. Um, and Rudy is asking them to fast track the, the proceedings because his client is sick. Yeah. Which, and of course, in, the, in a case like this where it's like somebody, if they don't get this treatment and everything, could end up dead before this tri- uh, trial sees, uh, goes through this proceedings. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, it doesn't matter if you win or lose after the person's dead because this is you know, just say the life or death kind of matter. So right. they're going to fast track everything to get it into court sooner so they can try to, you know, get the... The the um, plaintiff's yeah. um, testimony right before he dies. So he agrees to fast track it, which Leo is not happy with. So they say that they'll take Donnie Ray's testimony in one week. Yeah. And Leo... Leo Drummond's like, oh, um, I'm not in town that day. And the judge is just like, okay. Like, I'm sure one of those many guys sitting at the table are, so that's fine. Which was kind of, like, supposed to be a, like, a, a, this is an awesome scene. It was trying to, like, be a scare tactic against uh, Matt Damon's character, uh, Rudy, Rudy Baylor. That the whole, uh, you know, you're so out of your depth, son. Look at us. We got, you know, this whole posse of uh, lawyers ready to fight you. And then... Uh, when they think that it's kind of like, oh, yeah, we were so tough and macho and yada, yada, and everything. And the judge is like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, one of you SOBs can surely be there. Be there, or you're just missing out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I don't care. We're doing it with regardless, right? Yeah, it's like, I'm sure you guys have enough manpower to get somebody there. You figure it out. This is what's happening. Done. Yeah. And I, I got to say, I love how Danny Glover was just so cavalier about it and just like, essentially, fuck you guys. Get this done. Yeah. So they go to trial. Unfortunately, they do get Donnie's deposition before he passes, but he does pass. Unfortunately. And uh, they're going through the testimony. Or, like, they have people coming up, going through their testimonies, whatever. Yeah. And they manage to find this lady named Jackie Lemansky, who was a key witness to the fact that great benefits should not have been denying the bone marrow transplant, but were. Right. So they found her, and they put her up on the stand, but they tell her, or they get her uh, testimony stricken from the record because she's using a stolen manual from the business, from great benefit. Yep. Right. But, ah, Good old Deck calls up Bruiser and says, Hey, remember that case you did where you used stolen evidence? Uh, 
Well, where can I find the the back... archive for that? And yeah, because I, I I need to like use it. Yeah. As a precedent. Right. And at first, when I saw that scene, I thought like you know it's the whole obviously they have like a very good relationship those two and they're ready to kind of chit chat things out. I at first thought, oh, <clears throat> like does this sound kind of sketchy? Like you know should Bruiser be like, um, dude don't call me again, blah, 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 or whatever kind of thing. No. Nope. And it was like, oh, no, no, they're talking about something, you know, completely legal about stolen evidence and everything. And yeah. it's like, yeah, just look for this archive. And Legal Eagle, Eagle was even saying that it was so uh, incredible that he was bringing up actual archiving systems of, like, how to find this information to bring it in front of the judge and use this in a court of law. Yeah. So, so really good attention to detail in that one. Mm-hmm. So then, next day in court... Rudy pulls out the stolen manual. And, of course, Lee F. Drummond is, Objection, Your Honor. It's already been said that he can't use that, right? So they bring up their precedent, and the judge is like, oh. Yeah, it's good to go. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of times, he doesn't have to read the whole case. They have cliff notes. Yeah, because, I mean, the hours it would take to read through every single document yeah. in that thing, where the judge doesn't have that kind of time. And they got to get through stuff, or else the... Judicial system be clogged forever. Yeah. So, of course. Yeah. So, they allow it in. And I believe they even allow Jackie's testimony to be allowed in again. It wasn't stricken from the record, I believe, as the phrase goes. Yeah. And the manual is admitted into evidence. But he also... Rudy cross-examines the president of Great Benefit on the stand, this Wilfred Keeley guy. And he's played by Roy Scheider. Uh, Scheider. And, uh... Oh. <laughs> and, uh... Oopsies. Sorry, guys. That was my alarm. Um, basically, he says that in the manual, it says that... Stolen evidence can be used? Oh, no. no. That a bone marrow transplant... Oh, yes. Is not an experimental treatment. It's been practiced so many times that it is now a common practice. As the Treatment. As the doctors would say. Yes. So, <laughs> the jury finds the Donnie Ray's family, like they find for them, and they want a payout of actual and whew, a huge amount of punitive damages for great benefit, right? Yeah. And great benefit won't be able to pay them. So, um, Keeley gets arrested by the FBI and investigated for being a shit person, (laughs) essentially. And so, the insurance company ends up having to declare bankruptcy. So, it doesn't have to pay the punitive damages. And so, there's not ever any payout to Rudy, well, to the parents, and then Rudy getting his fees, right? Yes. But that's fine, because that wasn't the point. The point was, this shitty business that was doing shady, shitty things is now out of business. And the guy who was running it is now being arrested by the FBI. Yeah. Right. And stuff. So, yeah. It was a hard one to watch, because in the end, it was really tragic that Donnie Ray had to die. He didn't have to die. Right. Yeah. If great benefit had just paid... For the bone marrow transplant. Yeah. <clears throat> so. I mean. 
And this was the one when we were watching Legal Eagle that he said was the most realistic uh, uh, law film. Adaptation from his book. No. Or... The most realistic uh, fictional law film he'd ever seen. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, was it uh, A Time to Kill or was it uh, The Rainmaker was the most um, uh, accurate recreation of... The Rainmaker. Okay, yeah, from the book to movie. Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, I remember one of these two was like, they, like if you read the book, it's very similar to the movie because the movie um, is very similar to, like, cause, yeah, they, they didn't really get two creative differences yeah. on what happened throughout the movie because they were, yeah, all, whatever reasons kind of thing. Like, yeah. they kept very true to the source, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool, and I actually kind of appreciate that a lot more than it's like, sure, there's some creative differences, which are fine, but then it's like, if you get so out there that it's like it doesn't resemble what it originally was at for after yeah. a while, it's like, why not just create a whole new thing? Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, great movie. Favorite scene and least favorite scene in the movie. Um, my favorite scene is actually when he was cross-examining um, Wilford Keeley. Mm-hmm. And he was having him read the paper that said that the bone marrow transplant was a common practice. Mm-hmm. But when he walked away from him before he had him read it, he, like, used the book <laughs> yeah, to bump, to bump the, the microphone away. So then when he reads it... He walks back and moves the microphone closer to him and says, Oh, there you go. Can you read it again? I thought that was really funny because it forced him to read it twice without an objection being able to be sustained because the microphone was away from him. So I thought that was really, really creative. Um, My least favorite scene, it's when the mom... And the dad, well, the dad was out in the car, but the mom and Donnie Ray were sitting at the table going through that contract that you were talking about earlier. And as Donnie Ray is about to sign it, he gets a nosebleed because that just happens. Yeah. And I just felt really bad for him because you know that, like, what he needs, they just can't afford. And their stupid benefit company isn't paying for it because they're fucking cheap-ass bastard so yeah that's what about you oh i personally have to say that my favorite scene in the whole movie was when uh was it uh okay the whole setup was is that they found out that they were being bugged by this big law firm which uh you know at first seems like a very fictional only in the movies type thing but that, you know, it's nowadays, who knows? Yeah, and especially with how small and powerful technology is getting, it's crazy to think of what, what can be bugged and where bugs can be. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so they use this to their advantage and make it seem like they're talking to a juror to do some jury tampering. Yeah. <clears throat> so <laughs> the big law firm tries to like say that this guy is inadmissible or something. Or something is that the phrase? Inadmissible. Uh, anyways, he has but he's to, been tampered with, essentially. Yeah, and that it's like he should be kicked out, and he makes a complete ass of himself right in front of all the other jurors, and a fight almost, or a fight does break out and everything in the courtroom over this detail that it's like, well, if you guys hadn't been bugging them, then you wouldn't have known this, and then this would never would have happened. So, yeah, kind of one of those tit for tats. It's like they kind of were like, oh, we think we got him in check, and then they checkmate you in a way. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, to me, that was, like, a really smart 
like high IQ way to play it. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to add that the juror that they pretended to talk to, his name was Billy Porter, and he was pay- played by Randy Travis. And I thought that was awesome. Nice. Okay, and your least favorite scene. Uh, least favorite scene, I would probably have to say, you know, it was such a good movie all in all, and the premise was so good. I just think my least favorite scene was just uh, when they mentioned that, uh, what was it, uh, Billy, what was it, Billy Ray? That was his name? Or, no, Billy Porter? Donnie or, Ray. Donnie Ray, that's what it was, Donnie <laughs> Ray. Sorry, I'm getting names, all kinds of confused. Okay, Donnie Ray uh, passed away. Yeah. That it was, like, unfortunately, due to this insurance company's... Negligence and stupidity. And just stubbornness to be like, hey, people pay into insurance companies, so this way when something bad happens, things are made right. Mm. And it's like, well, if you don't pay out to make things right, especially when it's stuff like this and it's a life and death matter, yeah. then, you know, so of course I would say that's my least favorite thing. But then again, if you didn't have that, or like if you didn't have the whole, this all going on, there wouldn't be the movie. Exactly. It's just, I didn't like the fact that he died and that was like the whole, oh, it's sad that somebody who... Could have lived a very healthy and full, fulfilling life and everything. Didn't because... Agreed. Exactly. But all in all, great movie. Both movies, great watches. I actually can't wait to... uh, uh, Because we recently got uh, Audible to get these books on uh, audio. So this way, as we're painting Warhammer models or something or whatever, uh, we can listen to these books. Absolutely. Because life's so busy. Why not just read, uh, listen to the books if you don't have time to sit down and read them? Exactly, not sponsored. <laughs> as much as I love reading myself, like you can see by all the books I have, it's like I do enjoy a good read. Unfortunately, finding the time is a little difficult. Mm-hmm. Like finding time for this podcast sometimes difficult, as you can <laughs> tell by our alarms. All right, and do you want to le- finish off with uh, a little unfuck yourself note? Oh, sure. So for today's date on our un- unfuck yourself calendar by Gary John Bishop. It says, live like no one is watching. They're not. Which sounds so on uh, on tune with the whole uh, podcast thing. Nobody's watching this. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for joining us. And just remember, no matter what your thing is or what you're into. At the end of the day, we're all just a little nerdy. <laughs>